Hello, my name is David. The Old Testament reading is found in Psalm 127, verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> A pilgrimage song of Solomon. Unless it is the Lord who builds the house, the builder's work is pointless. Unless it is the Lord who protects the city, the guard on duty is pointless. It is pointless that you get up early and stay up late, eating bread of hard labor, because God gives sleep to those he loves. The word of the Lord. Hello, my name is Allison. The New Testament reading is found in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. Thanks be to God who gives us this victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. As a result of all this, my loved brothers and sisters, you must stand firm, unshakable, excelling in the work of the Lord as always, because you know that your labor isn't going to be for nothing in the Lord. The word of the Lord. Good morning, my name is Annalise. If you are able, please stand for the gospel reading. Found in John 5, 17 and 19 through 20. Jesus replied, my father is still working and I am working too. Jesus responded to the Jewish leaders, I assure you that the son can't do anything by himself except what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son does likewise. The father loves the son and shows him everything that he does. He will show him greater works than these so that you will marvel. The gospel of the Lord. Please remain standing with me as we pray this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would you speak to us today, the God who speaks would you speak through your word by your spirit? Would you give us ears to hear, minds to understand, hearts that are receptive to all that you want to do in and through our lives? In Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Good morning, downtown. Good to see you today. Good morning, everyone that's watching online. We love you. We hope that you are doing well. And once again, welcome to anybody who's new or newer or visiting today. This is, as we said, an all-generation Sunday. So a couple times a year, we bring everybody together. So kids, can you say good morning? Oh, you can do better than that really loud. Good morning. Yes, nice. Teenagers, where are you at? Can you say bruh? No, just tried. I thought maybe I could get a laugh out of maybe my teenager. I don't know if I did or not. I'll hear about it later on today. Uh, happy 4th of July weekend. Uh, and I want to say a quick thanks to all of our family ministry staff and volunteers uh, who spent the last couple weeks doing student ministry camp and kids camp. Uh, Brock and the student ministry team led our first ever student camp, Soul in the City for uh, a, about two weeks ago. 
And then we joined with all the congregations last week for kids camp. I think there were 1,100 kids up at uh, New Life North and 400 and some volunteers. So thank you to everybody that uh, jumped in to help make that happen. We are in the middle of a summer series through the Psalms of Ascent. This is Psalm 120 through 134, this collection of 15 psalms that are all held together by this heading, the songs of going up or the songs of the pilgrimage. Most scholars believe that Israel sang these songs as they journeyed up to Jerusalem for wherever they were in the land or the world. They would sing these songs as they journeyed up to Jerusalem for the three annual pilgrimage feasts, so Passover and Pentecost and the Feast of Tabernacles. We've said before, this was kind of the original road trip worship playlist for the people of God, singing and memorizing these songs. But it also serves as a bit of a guidebook for discipleship, a way of thinking about our own pilgrimage of faith, our journey to God, and how we bring every part of our lives into worship and service for God and his kingdom. Today, we're gonna be in the opening verses of Psalm 127, which talk about our work in the world. So we're gonna read those passages. Again, Psalm 127, verse one. Unless it is the Lord who builds the house, the builder's work is pointless. Other translations will say in vain. It's the same word that gets used in the Ten Commandments. Do not use or take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For unless it is the Lord who protects the city, the guard on duty is pointless. It is pointless that you get up early and stay up late eating the bread of hard labor because God gives sleep to those he loves. Imagine with me for a second, you're journeying with the people of God up to Jerusalem. You've gone on this long walk for maybe for hours, maybe for days, maybe for a week or more, and you enter up into the city, and you're beholding the city of Jerusalem, this walled city housing the temple of God, the very house of God. This remarkable construction of walls that are still standing, of rocks from the Temple Mount that are still there, inspiring feats. Something about beholding great work like that strikes a chord in us, where we see them and immediately something kind of bubbles up in us and says, I want to do something significant with my life. We see the significant work of others. We go, I want to be a part of that. I want to do something. We want to be good at something. And we want it to matter. We want it to last. We want it to be significant. And maybe this is uniquely true for us as Americans, where we believe that we can do anything. This, we grow up in a society that says the sky is the limit. Whatever you dream of, whatever you want to do, you can do it. And then we grow up and realize, oh, wait, there are other limits besides the sky. That to be human is to be finite. To be human is to have limits. And my 70-mile-an-hour fastball was not going to get me to the major leagues. And my curveball that broke an inch was certainly not helping anyway in that there were other limits that I faced beyond the sky, but there's still a desire in us to want to do something significant. Of course, we define that all differently. We define significance or meaning or purpose in different ways. And in this room, 
we all have different levels of optimism about that, about that dream or that desire or that drive in us. We have different levels of optimism about our ability to make a difference or the opportunities that we have to do so. Some in the room may be full of dreams and ideas and drive and you've got your to-do list and you're just crushing it and going after one thing after another, after another, after another, and you're filled with all kinds of energy and excitement about the tasks of your hands. Others are dealing with disappointment, recognizing that the dream that you had maybe for the new position or to find a new position or the dream that you had for your small business, the dream you had when you went into a particular career or vocation has just been met with disappointment. It wasn't quite what you thought it was going to be. Others of us have experienced a death in our, in our vocation. And not only was it a disappointment, but it actually ended badly, or we had to let it go. Or we could no longer do the thing that we wanted to do, or we suffered a job loss or loss of business or an unexpected firing. For others, we find ourselves going, I'm just trying to rethink it. What I had thought I'm now in the process of redefining and reimagining. At some point, though, somewhere in us or at some point in our lives, most of us had a longing for and a belief that we could do something significant in the world, even if that was a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. It strikes something in us. And then we read a psalm like this. The psalmist enters those conversations in our own souls and comes in and says, you know what? If the Lord doesn't build it, if the Lord doesn't protect the city, then the builders, the guards, all of our human labor, all of our human efforts, all of our work is pointless. It's vain. It's empty. It's meaningless. It's insignificant. And you're like, thanks for the pick-me-up. Our efforts without the Lord become the opposite of our hopes. The hope for meaning and value and significance outside of God's work in our lives become hopeless. The psalmist says it doesn't matter if you're the first to clock in, the last to clock out. Without God's work, our work is found wanting, even at time and a half even whatever overtime that we put in. But with God's work, the psalmist says that our work can flourish. The psalmist isn't advocating for laziness or for quiet quitting or a chore boycott where you're like, you know, mom, dad, these chores that you're asking me to do right now, if the Lord's not in it, it's just not gonna really be prosperous. So I don't think we should have cleaning days on Fridays anymore. Kids, don't get any ideas about this. Yeah, I see you, Lila. <laughs> it's not what he's advocating for. The psalmist, though, is rearticulating for us the biblical vision of vocation, rearticulating the biblical vision of work, and redefining significance for us according to the scriptures rather than according to our culture. First thing we begin with is God's vision for our vocation is collaboration. The end of the day, his vision for our vocation is collaboration. The builders build what the Lord builds. The guards protect what the Lord protects. This is not a new idea. The psalmist is emphasizing a collaboration with God that has existed from the very beginning because God designed a collaborative world. 
It's the way he made the whole thing to work. Genesis 2 is one of the pictures of this we get. Genesis 2 verse 4 says, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created on the day the Lord God made, the day the Lord God worked, the day the Lord God created the earth and the sky before any wild plants appeared on the earth and before any field crops grew, before there was any vegetation. Why is there no vegetation? Because the Lord God had not yet sent the rain on the earth and there was still no human beings to farm the lands. There were no fields and vegetation yet because there were no farmers. God is creating and his work requires additional workers. He creates us to come into his world and to continue his work. He created us for partnership and for participation with his work in his worlds, for divine human collaboration. And not just divine human collaboration like me and Jesus and we're just going about it, just me and him and me, you know, and the spirit and we're just, you know, doing our thing. No. There's no part of our life that was meant to be that way. It's divine human-human collaboration with God and with others. The Bible from the very beginning depicts God as a worker. He's described in various passages as a potter and a gardener and a farmer and a shepherd and an architect and a metal worker and a builder and a composer and a doctor and a lawyer and a judge and a teacher and a counselor and a parent. And the list goes on and on and on and on. And the Bible gives us a clear picture of what his work looks like. God is the God who brings life to darkness, order to chaos, function to dysfunction. He turns wastelands into wildernesses and wildernesses into civilizations. He creates beauty and truth and goodness. He cultivates righteousness and justice. He provides, he protects, he, he heals, he helps, he names, he guides, he rescues, he restores. He does all of this, and then he creates us to do the same things with him. He says, this is who I am. I'm a worker, and these are the things that I do, and I created you in my image to join me and join with one another in doing those same things in the world, to continue and further his work, to cultivate and protect his creation, to enable its fruitfulness, to ensure its preservation, to bring his whole work to completion, which ultimately only Jesus can do, but we get to partner in that process. He creates us to do what he's doing and to do it with him and to do it with each other. Adam realizes this later in the chapter, that it's not good for him to be alone. It's not just about marriage. It's partly about that, but it's also about community and mission. Adam's created to do something given this commission, and he can't do it by himself. We cannot fulfill our vocation in isolation. We cannot fulfill it without partnering with God and partnering with one another. This is who we are and what we're called to do in the world. We're called to collaborate with God and with his people. God and others must always be at the center of our work. 
If we forget God or forget others, then our work becomes meaningless and pointless. If our work begins to move against what God is doing in the world, then our work becomes meaningless and pointless. We're created to partner with him and one another in God's ongoing work in the world. Jesus said it this way in our gospel reading, God's working, my father is always working, so am I. I see what the Father is doing, and then I get involved in that. I'm watching, looking for what the Father is doing, and then I do the same thing. So New Life Downtown family, the question that the psalmist invites us to ask then is, what's God doing near you? What's he doing near you? What's he doing in your workplace? What's he doing in your career? What's he doing in your profession? What's he doing in your industry? Sometimes we think of this and we go, well, what God's doing in the world is, is he's, all, he's doing it all through like ministry and parachurch ministry and all those things. Stop. God is at work in the world in both the sacred and secular spheres. Okay, so to like to talk that way, like, well, those people over there do the work of God and us over here that are, you know, teachers and counselors and stay at home parents and people that work with our hands and build stuff and fix stuff. And those, no, God's at work in the whole world. What's he doing near you? What's he doing in your sphere? What's he doing in your industry? Kids, students, kids, what's God doing in your home? Maybe you don't have paid work that you're getting to. Maybe you get an allowance, you know, of some degree. But what's he doing in your home? What's he doing in your school? What's he doing in your neighborhood? What's he doing with your friends? How is God at work? What do you see him up to? We're called to pay attention. Okay, God, where are you? What are you up to? And then to ask ourselves, how can we get in on that? How can we join God in that work? How can we join him? And how can we invite others in? How can we partner with other people? How can we do this together? Parents, those of you in the room today, what is God doing in your home and in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your church, in your community? And how is it that you can bring your kids into what he's doing? Have them be aware of God's work in the world and teach them and show them how to pay attention and then to see, oh, this is how you join in. So the things that we're doing in our ordinary everyday lives are not just simply meaningless tasks or menial things that we're called to, but invitations to participate with God in his reordering of the worlds and recognizing even in our homes, things turn to chaos if we're not careful. And we're called to partner with him and one another and continuing to bring order even to the places that we live, our yards and our neighborhoods, and everything that's around us is an opportunity to partner in God's work. The other thing the psalmist is doing for us here in the scriptures do in general is redefine significance for us. We define significance by size and scope, scale and salary, how much authority that we have in a situation, by numbers and notoriety. Those things may matter. They may be indicative of something that we have to pay attention to. But in the scriptures, they are not the determinative factor for significance. They're not. The determinative factor for significance in the scriptures is faithfulness. God's definition of significance is 
was and always will be faithfulness. Jesus tells this mind-blowing parable at one point about a man going on a trip who calls three servants and he gives one of them five coins, one of them three coins, one of them one coin. Why he gives them different amounts of coins, I don't know, okay? It doesn't tell us. But the servants with three coins and five coins, they immediately take that they've been give, given and they go to work. They take and receive what God has given to them, the invitation to partner with him, and they go to work and they double their master's resources. The fellow with the one coin's like, I'm scared, I don't wanna mess up. So he goes and buries it. He doesn't even do the simple thing of putting it in the bank. He's <laughs> just like, I'm gonna dig a hole in my backyard because I don't know about those banks. I gotta go and hide this gold underneath this tree. All right, this is what he does. And the master comes back. It says to the ones with the three and the five, well done, good and faithful servants. You who have been faithful with little will be faithful with much. Faithful with little will be faithful with much. Faithfulness is always the standard in the scriptures. What we're called to partner with God in is doing something good and doing it well. Not doing everything that would be considered overworking or overfunctioning or workaholism, an addiction that so many of us struggle with. Hillary, one ancient church father, said it this way about overfunctioning or overworking is a blasphemous anxiety to do God's work for him. Anyone else suffer from this besides me? Yeah, maybe it's just for me today then. <laughs> so he's not, not calling us to not do everything. But also the invitation is not to do nothing, not to underwork, not to move into places of sloth and laziness of like, oh, I just don't want to do anything, or acedia, that sense of I just don't care. But to do good work, to do what it is that we've been given by God to do today and to do it with him, to do it with others, and to do it well. The best definition of Christian work I ever saw was uh, from a woman named Dorothy Sayers who was friends with Lewis and Tolkien and that whole crew but never got to be a part of the Inklings. But she has this beautiful essay on work and she says the only Christian work is good work well done. That's Christian work. To faithfully participate in what God's doing in the world and to do it to the best that we can. To find, okay, God, what are you doing? How can I get involved and to do it the best that we can. Good work is any work that, collabor that collaborates with God's work in the world. That work, however menial we might think that it is, that work has significance. That work, the joining in what God is doing in the world has dignity and meaning and value and purpose, regardless of how our culture describes those, that's the work that the scripture says do that work, get involved in that, and to do it well. Because that work, whatever it is, is worth excelling at. First Corinthians, Paul says it this way. He says, as a result of all of this, as a result of Jesus's resurrection, my loved brothers and sisters stand firm, unshakable, and excelling in the work of the Lord, as always. Because if you excel in the work of the Lord, Excel in getting involved, whatever that God is doing with him and others in the world, and excelling at that, then your labor isn't going to be for nothing. It will not be pointless. 
It will not be in vain. It will be the very work that you'll hear God say at the end of the ages, well done, good and faithful servants. What is God doing near you, friends? And what has he invited you into? And what has he enabled you to do well? Do that in a long faithfulness, and you'll hear the very praise of our Father. Well done, good and faithful servants. I'm gonna invite the worship team and Sarah to come up to lead us to the table today. As we come to the table, we see a picture of how God can take our work and use it in ways that further his kingdom. Here we come to a table where God takes the ordinary things of bread and wine or bread and juice, ordinary things that we stepped into the world and learned how to make, things that we took that were his gift to us in creation and we put our own creativity in it in the very way that God told us to do. We found good work to do and we did it well and Jesus takes those very symbols of our efforts and he uses them to point to himself into his kingdom. The table reminds us of all the ways that God can do that. He can take our work, fill it with his spirit, and use it to advance his kingdom in the world. This table represents Jesus's work. He did good work. It was well done. And we are the beneficiaries of that. So. All who believe that Jesus is the true king of the world are welcome to receive, regardless of your church background or affiliation. If that's not you, thank you for coming this morning. Um, we're honored that you're here. We encourage you. Keep coming. Keep asking questions about Jesus. But if you are ready to begin following Jesus, maybe for the first time this morning, we invite you to join with us as we come to the table, first confessing our sin, asking for forgiveness, putting our trust and our salvation in Jesus alone. So pray with me, the words will be on the screen. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And we are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name, amen. It's my joy this morning to announce good news to you. Words that are true, not because I am saying them, but just because of what God has done. So would you open up your hands and receive again the mercy of God. Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. And that is what proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. The peace of the Lord be with you. Thank you. As those who've been raised to new life in Jesus, please stand, greet those around you, share the peace that you have in Jesus with one another.
As we come back together, the words for the liturgy will be on the screen. Friends, Jesus is here. Lift up your hearts. Let's give thanks to the Lord our God. It is a good, it's a joyful thing to give our gratitude and thanks to you, Father Almighty, because you formed us in your image. You breathed into us the breath of life. When our love failed, your love remained steadfast. When we were unfaithful, you sent your son Jesus to be faithful on our behalf. On the night that he was gonna be handed over to suffering and death, Jesus was having dinner, celebrating the Passover meal with his friends. And during that meal, he took bread. And after he had given thanks and blessed it, he broke it and he gave it to them. And he said, take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this for the remembrance of me. And after the supper was over, he took the cup of wine. And after he had given thanks, he gave it to them. And he said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. And whenever you drink it, do this for the remembrance of me. And so God, in remembrance of your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we proclaim together this mystery of our faith that Christ has died and Christ is risen and Christ will come again. This table is a place of remembrance. It's also a place of encountering the living God. So let's sing together this morning this prayer and ask the Holy Spirit to meet us here. Oh. 